coming up next on the Varsity Journal Podcast. So here she is. This is my interview with Alexa Greenfield. People have been recognizing me, like the cameraman, I guess, because it was at the US Open, it was a sports thing. So like, and I go to a lot of sports games. So I've been doing it all over, but the Madison Square Garden one is just the one that has gone viral again. This is the same kind of guy that would like put his girlfriend's nudes on online just because his girl cheated on him, and then he would justify it. Oh, she cheated on me, so she's a bad person. Here is my interview with MMA reporter Spencer Kite. <laughs> As someone who just turned 40 and knows what it's like to feel achy after a night of playing basketball, right. and imagine being 48 and coming back after an eight-year hiatus. I have issue with, with the bar that I work at and whatever they put on their TVs. So lately I've been doing this new thing and I've just been fucking with them. Here's my interview with Phil Thomas. I traded Maurice Jones Drew for Plexico Burris and then a week later he shot himself in the leg. Oh no, you didn't tell me that one. I love that. I love it. No, you guys both shot yourself in the foot, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 12 of the Varsity Journal podcast. My name is Ryan Poirier. Holy shit, this episode is going to be a treat. Uh, We are all over the place in this episode. Uh, So last week we had zero guests, and today we have three. Uh, This episode is going to be fire, man. Uh, We have MMA writer Spencer Kite on the show We have fantasy football pundit from the Chicago Tribune, Phil Thomas on the show, and we have Alexa Greenfield, the woman who is caught dipping her chicken fingers into her soda. They're all coming on the show, baby. It's all happening today. Uh, And also, what's that that you hear? It is the smooth clarity of my voice. Uh, We have new podcast equipment here, baby. Uh, so let's kick off the show with Alexa Greenfield. Um, she's been on the show before, uh, back when she was caught at the U.S. Open, dipping her chicken fingers into her soda. Everyone was posting about this woman, calling her psychotic, uh, and she went viral. And it appears that she has now embraced this character. She is the chicken fingers soda woman, and she was caught yet again at Madison Square Garden at the New York Knicks game, dipping her beloved chicken fingers into her beloved soda. So, you know what? We had to have her back here on the show. Okay, let's get into this. Uh, Returning to the show is Alexa Greenfield. Alexa, thank you for coming back on. No problem. Um, First things first, did you go and vote on Tuesday? Yes, of course. And you got your sticker and your pin? Or whatever they give you in the States? Nice, good. We're proud of you. Okay, uh, so all right, Alexa, we uh, we need to talk. Uh, so a, a couple days ago, I'm scrolling through my Facebook and a video pops up, and it's titled "The Hot Chick, The Hot Chicken Finger Soda Dipper Girl Is Back," and yes, she's still a psycho. 
Uh, so I watched the video and this time you were at Madison Square Garden and you're dipping the chicken finger into the soda and it appears that you got caught for the second time. So I said, I need to have Alexa back on because I need to get to the bottom of this. Now I did some digging, so I already know, but for those who don't know, did you really get caught again or was this all a setup by Madison Square Garden? Right. People have been recognizing me, like the cameraman. I guess because it was at the U.S. Open, it was a sports thing. So, like, and I go to a lot of sports games. So I've been doing it all over. But the Madison Square Garden one is just the one that has gone viral again. And basically, I posted to my page, Lick and Fingers, which is my yeah. page dedicated to all things chicken finger soda dipping. Yeah. And so I posted that I was at the garden that I was doing it, and I guess they must have like. Like seen it because I tagged the Knicks, mm -hmm. and then they just kind of found me. So they kind of like crept up on me. Okay. And then, and then I noticed the camera was right in my face. Because yeah. on that on that Slickin' Fingers uh, page, I saw there was like a second video, and it was like it was from a different no, angle. Okay. But then, like, I guess, like, people didn't really notice, so then they just came closer. But this was all in a span of, like, 20 seconds. Because it did look like you really got caught, and I was thinking yeah. that you really played that off well, but... No, no, I did. I right. Mean, like, I, I tagged them, I alerted them that I was there, but I did not know a camera was, like, coming in at me. I love it. Um, so, let's get into this Slickin' Fingers page that you have on Instagram. Is that your new alter ego? Um, yeah, I guess that's what you could call it. I just, I wanted to stop posting all the chicken finger stuff to my personal, and I wanted to just have an outlet where I, like, felt free and not embarrassed to right. do whatever I wanted. So, on this Instagram page, you're essentially, adver it looks like you're advertising for different chicken finger companies. You have, like, different companies tagged in these pictures. Are you getting paid for this? Is this a new business venture for you? Um, hopefully soon. <laughs> right. So, so they didn't contact you, like any of those chicken finger companies, like they didn't, like, did oh, they I'm contact just, you I'm after? Just, or? I'm just being really, I'm just being really genuine about myself. Like I eat chicken fingers all the time. Right. So I'm just posting everywhere I eat chicken fingers from. And eventually, I mean, I'm already gaining traction. I mean, I have like almost 6,000 followers. Yeah, you're killing now, it. So people are going to start inviting me in and we'll go from there. Yeah, and that that's all been in the matter of what, like three weeks? Well, I had 100 followers on Monday, and now I have 6,000. <laughs> oh my god, so that's been in the matter of less than a week. Like two days. When was it that you decided that you wanted to start embracing this character? Immediately. I think I even told you guys that last time we spoke. Well, last time we spoke, I think it was maybe beginning of September, and I think the Slick and Fingers page opened up. I think oh, the first video was October 10th. Yeah, I just, no, but I, I've been trying to do something with this since the beginning. Um, I just decided that I needed a page where, like I said, I could I had an outlet to just do whatever I wanted, like be carefree. Mm-hmm. It is obviously, like, a bit strange, and I'm not, even though it totally doesn't seem this way, like, I actually am kind of shy. 
Right. So, oh, damn. I know. It really doesn't seem that way. But I just, I was, like, getting embarrassed posting so much chicken finger stuff on my own page. Mm-hmm. So... And we have both. So people can see what I'm up to, and people can see where I'm eating chicken fingers. Yeah, and you have this new alter ego now. Um, and the last time that we talked, you told me that... You know, you didn't really love to actually dip the chicken finger in the soda. You said it was to eliminate the hangover. But now I'm looking, I'm seeing right through that, Alexa. And because looking at the page, I see that you have different soda dips. So what is it, Alexa? You really do love the soda dip, don't you? All right, you caught me. I just like, didn't you. really want to admit it at the beginning. Yeah. But I seriously do like it um, much better. Actually, yesterday I was eating chicken fingers at Sticky's Fingers and I was doing a video and I just took a bite and then I dipped it and I was like, I really just like it so much better this way. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of lied too because last time we talked, I told you I was going to try it and I still haven't tried it, but I'm I'm, go <laughs> I'm going to the, the Ottawa Senators game tonight, so I'm, I'm going to try it there. Oh, you should. See, that's the best place to do it. Yeah. At like a, you know, like a, at a stadium or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you, and they're they're fresh out of the deep fryer. It's I agree. Um, so on the Slick and Finger page, there's a picture of you at the Yankees game. You're holding up a giant fountain drink of soda. There's some chicken fingers, you know, buried in there. I assume this was during the playoffs in the division series versus the Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah, you say that with some. Uh, you know, it's hard for you to say. How how hard was it for you to watch the Red Sox win that series and eventually win the World Series? Yeah. It's awful. We could have won. But honestly, fuck the Red Sox because at, I thought that when they won, they were literally playing, like, New York songs in the locker room. Like, just, do you want to just be excited on your own and leave us out of it? Mm-hmm. Like, it's really ridiculous. You must have hated that. They were chanting. They were chanting. The Yankees suck. In LA, like where? Where's the relevance to that? Leave us out of it. I know they hate you guys. It's truly uh, the biggest rivalry in sports. Um, you, you're also a diehard Knicks fan, aren't you? Yeah. Is this? More so. Is it tough that all of this is happening during a time where the Knicks are so bad? Oh, we got to the playoffs like, what, once or twice? Mm. It's been a disaster forever. You know, in all honesty, uh, I, re I do really respect that you are a fan of a team that is so horrible because I talk all the time on this po podcast about I have such an immense appreciation for people who stick with their team in these, lows, in these low points because eventually your team will get better. They have to. So when the Knicks finally do get good again, not that that's going to be anytime soon, so whatever the hell that may be, you can actually at least stand up and say, hey, guys, I've, I've been with these guys at their lowest points. But, you know, it, it, it is pretty tough being a New York sports fan right now, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also a Jets fan. And they... <gasps> the Jets? Yeah, yeah, you're a Jets fan too, aren't you? I am. I mean, I'm both. I'm Jets and Giants. Yeah. Stuck. Rangers are like, I don't even know what they're up to right now. No, they're not doing so well either. <sighs> yeah. Disaster. It's a disaster. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go to the Senators game tonight. And, uh, you know, last time I promised you that I would do it. And I never did. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go tonight and I'll, I'll tag you in it. 
Uh, what about what about beer? Can I use beer to dip the chicken fingers in? I was thinking about it. I actually think that sounds good. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, what do you mean? They make beer battered fried chicken. Like, what is the difference? I'd love to know. Why... What, like why is one gross and one isn't? Well, one is used to make the batter. All the alcohol is is out of the is out of the That's batter once. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. You you are the uh, the product of don't knock it till you try it. I know. Well, now I am. Yeah. I love it. Um, Alexa, I wish you the, the best for you and this new alter ego, uh, this new chicken finger career that you have uh, ahead of you. And uh, as always, this was a blast. Thank you for joining the show. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug? Instagram, Snapchat, anything? No, everyone should follow at Slick and Fingers, which is S-L-I-C-K-E-N Fingers, because it's going to be really, really funny and there's a lot of good stuff to come. Tomorrow I'm taking over Bro Bible's Instagram. I'll be storing all day. I have a photo shoot. There's a lot of cool stuff coming. So. Hell yeah. Okay, I, I will take Slickin' Fingers in uh, the bio. Thanks again, Alexa. Thank you. Hell yeah. That is Alexa Greenfield, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow her on Instagram at Slickin' Fingers. S-L-I-C-K-E-N Fingers. Uh, just like she said. And so yeah, check it out. She certainly loves the chicken fingers and soda and you know, that's true. Uh, what I told her, I'm, I'm going to go to the Senators game tonight and I'm, I'm definitely going to give that uh, a try for real this time. You know, I, I know that I said I would do it before, but, uh, and, and, and I didn't, but I have to this time. She, she already came on the show twice, so I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, and, uh, yeah, speaking of the Ottawa Senators, have you guys seen that Uber video? If you haven't, uh, this is essentially what happened. So the team was in Arizona, uh, they they had a game against the Coyotes and, uh, they were coming back from practice and there was a Uber driver that was driving them, and uh, you know this this video has since gone viral because the Uber driver sold the video to the Ottawa Citizen. Um, essentially, it is a five minute car ride, and you know the players are they're talking shit about. They're mostly talking shit about uh, the assistant coach Marty Raymond. And, you know, they're, they're, they're saying some not-too-kind things about how their team is doing. You know, it looks really bad. It looks, it looks bad, but you break it all down, and this is what, this is what you come up with. Um, for those who don't think that athletes or people on a sports team talk shit about their boss and you know if you don't think that people in a company talk shit about their boss then you're wrong um that happens everywhere it it looks bad because you know that scummy uber driver decided to sell these guys out 
But at the end of the day, um, nobody should be surprised in this. Uh, if anything, they should be surprised that there's scum like that in the world that um, that that are gonna you know sell your privacy or they're gonna sell your private conversation and put it online. Um, you know, I mean, th this guy who did that, who who has zero regard for anybody's private. This is the same kind of guy that would like, you know, put his girlfriend's nudes on online just because his girl cheated on him. And then he would justify it. Oh, she cheated on me. So she's a bad person. Hey man, that's still illegal. You're still breaching people's tri privacy. Um, and just because these guys were talking shit and, you know, they can be seen as bad guys here. You're, you're withholding them from having a private conversation and your, and your scummy, uh, your scumminess decided to go out and sell that video. Um, but yeah, you know, this, this is how everybody in hockey talks. I've, I've been in, I've been on several hockey teams and you know what, that's just, it's how you talk, honestly. Um, if anything, this should be seen as bonding between t between teammates. At, at least, you know, teammates aren't sectioned off and, and they're not allowed to talk to each other. You know what I mean? This is how everybody in hockey talks. And this is how people on sports teams communicate. And if you think otherwise, then I'm sorry to say, then you have zero experience playing sports. Um... But you know what? The funniest thing about this whole thing is that it's happening. I guess it happens in professional sports too, apparently. You know, which I never knew that happened. I, I thought that that only happened in, in minor league sports. But yeah, that, that's the funniest thing to me is that apparently this also happens in professional sports too. Uh, so anyway, uh, UFC 230 was this past weekend. Did any of you guys see it? It, uh, it was a hell of a pay-per-view. Daniel Cormier defended his title, and he became the first person in the UFC to ever defend a title from two different weight divisions. He did it at light heavyweight, and now he's done it at heavyweight. Um, but here's the crazy thing. While all, while all of this is going on, while two of UFC 230 is going down, there's some other insane things that are happening in the world of MMA. Uh, Floyd Money Mayweather, the 50-0 undefeated boxer, he signs a fight with another f fighting organization, Ryzen, R-I-Z-I-N. That's an organization in Japan. He signs a fight with a 20-year-old stud named Tenshin Nasakawa. Um, none of the fighting stipulations for this fight have been announced yet. Uh... So there's no word on whether this fight between Floyd Mayweather and Tenshin Nasakawa will indeed even be an MMA fight or a kickboxing fight or a boxing fight or even a different fight with different rules, you know? Maybe maybe this is going to be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu match with punching allowed, you know? Who knows? No, Nobody at this point knows. Um, but here's what we do know. This fight will happen on New Year's Eve in Japan, and the guy who will be fighting, fighting Floyd Mayweather is no joke. Uh, Tenshin Nasakawa, he's 27-0 in 
kickboxing. He's 4-0 in MMA, and he is legit. And if you watch Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, Joe Rogan's been praising this guy left and right. So if this is indeed an MMA fight, then fucking props to Floyd Mayweather for stepping up and, you know, fighting his first MMA fight at the age of 40 against a legit stud. Um, so, uh, so yeah, um, coming on the show today, uh, without further ado, here is my interview with MMA reporter Spencer Kite. All right, thank you again for, uh, joining the show once again. It's, uh, it's been, it's, uh, been a pretty crazy week in the world of MMA, so I thought that this would be a good time to have you on the show again. Uh, I guess we'll start things off with UFC 230 that just went down this past weekend. Uh, you know, Daniel Cormier, he dominates Derek Lewis, retains the heavyweight title, becomes the first person to ever defend a title from two different weight divisions. Did anything from that fight surprise you? Um, not really. I mean, it's, it's sort of one of those things where you come away from the fight and everybody goes, ah, oh, well, it went the way we expected and it's no big deal, but... It's still a big deal because the thing that, that I always I always think coming away from fights like that, and I wrote about it on Monday for Sporting News, was that we tend to say, yeah, well, we tend to sort of relitigate things based on the opponent. And so we say, well, what? you know, Derek Lewis never really had great takedown defense, and you knew it was always going to be that way. But Derek Lewis hasn't had particularly good takedown defense throughout his career and yet he was still 9-1 in his last 10 UFC appearances. He had rallied back from a couple of fights where he was taken down and controlled on the ground only to get a third-round stoppage against Marcin Tabora and a fourth-round stoppage against Shamil Durahimov um, a few years back. And so to have Daniel Cormier take him down, we all knew that was going to happen. But to see the way that DC is able to control him and able to do damage and ultimately get that finish just to me sort of further underscores just how elite and how dominant Daniel Cormier is. And I've said it for years, but he is a guy that, you know, two, three, five, ten years from now, when he is gone, we will look back and, and understand what a phenomenal talent he was a little bit more and, and appreciate that a little bit more than I think some people do right now. I think we talked about this a little bit the last time that you were on, but more than likely DC's next fight is going to be against Brock Lesnar in early 2019, it sounds like. Is that a fight that now gets you excited? Or, you know, do you think that we see the exact same thing that we just saw happen to Derek Lewis? I think we see something similar. I mean, I'm excited to watch Daniel Cormier fight anytime just because I like watching greatness. It's sort of the sort of the thing that never made sense to me with people that didn't like watching Demetrius Johnson. Mm. I want to watch the best the best competitors in the world regardless of what sport it is. Like, I want to see LeBron James do amazing things and I want to see like everybody like I'm mad at the NBA when it was the Warriors and, and the Cavs for four straight years. I want to see that because they were the two best teams on the planet. And so with DC, if I can see him compete I, I mean, it sucks that this might be his last fight. That's the part that, that stands out for me because I want more. And so I'm not necessarily intrigued by the matchup. I would love to see him fight John Jones at heavyweight. I would love to see him rematch Stephen Miocic. But a chance to see Daniel Cormier compete is a chance to see Daniel Cormier compete. I'm, I'm always in for that. 
Well, earlier this week, you said that he no longer needs the John Jones trilogy. Do you buy that? Um, I buy it in that he has accomplished some things in the last year since John has been out or since their last fight at UFC 214. That does put some distance between them. If DC had just stayed at light heavyweight and was sort of enjoying this this reign at light heavyweight in John's stead, then I think it makes things a little a little different. I think there's more of a need and, and probably from him as well. But to go up to heavyweight and do what he's done to beat Stipe in the first round to win the title and now subsequently defend it, I think it does put some distance between them. I think it does sort of change things a little bit because it's a different accomplishment where you, you can't bring up John to sort of diminish what he's done. And there are going to be people that still say, yeah, but John Jones. But this is separate and apart from John. And so I think he would welcome John to heavyweight because I think DC knows he's got some, some different advantages there that maybe he doesn't have by having to cut to 205. But it, it really wouldn't surprise me if he did the, the Brock Lesnar fight and then stuck to his word and just rode off into the sunset to go do some other things. We can't see that, though. We have to see that final fight. I think it will eventually happen. I just think it'll take a little longer than uh, most people think. I don't think it's going to be as long as that third Chuck and Tito fight, but I think it will, you know, I think I think within the next couple of years, we'll see. Maybe it'll be something where DC comes out of retirement and, and fights John Jones. But I, I, I just think for him to cement his legacy, the legacy that DC ultimately wants to have, then that's the fight that he needs. Yeah, if they, I mean, don't get me wrong, if they can get it lined up at heavyweight and they back up a Briggs track, I'm sure he will say Yeah. Um... Anyway, let, let's move on because uh, there were some other amazing fights from that card. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I think the best part of that night was the co-main event between uh, Jacare and Chris Weidman. For those who didn't watch the fight, let me just explain this to you. It was pretty much a brawl between these two guys. A lot of people had Weidman up on their scorecards. And in the third round, we see Jacare knock Weidman out. And while Chris Weidman is unconscious, Dan Mergliotta is essentially asking Jacare to kill this guy, and he doesn't stop the fight. What the hell was Dan Mergliotta doing? I'm not really sure. I mean, anytime you get, first and foremost, refereeing is hard. Um, making those decisions in split seconds like that is very difficult, and I have the utmost respect for any of the men and women that get in there and, and do a good job. As much as we sort of criticize the mistakes and don't give any credit when everything goes well, that is kind of the job. That being said, I have no idea. When you get a guy like Jacques Array, who has been around forever and is a respected fighter that looks at you and goes, hey man, he's done. And you can see it in the fight. Jacques Array motions to him and is like, he's done. I don't, mm-hmm. We don't need to keep going. And Mergliotta kind of just looks at him and you got to give Jacques Array credit for just kind of, you know, not throwing the biggest bombs that he could throw, not running in there and trying to ruin Chris Weidman. Um, and then Chris, of course, tries to shoot a single leg on both yeah. Jacare and then Dan Mergliotta, yeah. at which point Dan is probably thinking, oh man, I really screwed this up. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those tough spots, right? Because you don't want to, I think it's tough because we criticize officials when they get in too early. We criticize officials when they get in too late. And that middle ground is such a, such a narrow space of getting it just right. is such a narrow space that these things happen and we, we have these situations. That being said, I don't know how you can see Chris Weidman go down the way he did, 
throughout a fight, like, you have to remember everything that's happened up until that point of two minutes and 46 seconds or 40 seconds in the fight. He had started to get hit with a few shots. Right. Tucker had started to come back on. They were trading, and Chris was backing up because he was already a little bit dinged up. And then to take that shot and to loot, to fall the way he fell, and that's one of the things I tend to look at, to fall the way he fell. His arms weren't out to brace him. He wasn't trying to stop himself. He was out. And when you see that with a guy that has been knocked out like that in the past, you got to get in there, especially when Jacare then turns to you and is like, yo, we're done here. Right. Well, I would imagine that Dan Mergliotta is called over 500 fights and he's been in the ring before. So that was the most surprising thing to me. And it was earlier on in the night, Joe Rogan was talking about how much the UFC needed a guy or MMA needed a guy like Herb Dean because now that, you know, Big John is gone, there's not too many referees out there who have that uh, experience. So I was I was actually thinking that, hey, I would I would think that, that Dan Mergliotta might be the next the next best guy because I don't think I've ever seen Dan Mergliotta screw up the way that he just screwed up. But um, yeah, it's tough because I mean, Big John was great, and and it is unfortunate—not unfortunate. It's great for John that he's gone on to do other things. It's mm-hmm. unfortunate for us and for fighters and fight and fight fans. The fighters, no I think, it's unfortunate for, for. And the fighters, absolutely, that we no longer have sort of the the lead official that we think of when we think of the UFC and MMA in general. But I mean, to me, Mark, Mark Goddard is, is the new gold. Mark standard. Goddard. You're right. Yeah. To me, that is, is the absolute best. Herb Dean has had some bad moments as of late, but he's still great. The thing I want to see is some of these younger officials get some opportunities. I have always thought that Jason Herzog is great. Chris Tyone isn't younger, but he is a guy that doesn't get as much work outside of law, outside of Nevada and I believe California. But I think he's great. Mark Smith as well as an Avada guy. And so I think if we can see a few more of those guys and, you know, some of the some of the Midwest guys like Rob Hines get some more opportunities. Greg Franklin is pretty good. Um, some of these fighters that have gone over as well. Frank Trigg has started to do a very good job. Uh, Vitor Sheldon Hibero has been a very good, ju- very good ref for a while. Start to see some of those people get a few more opportunities as opposed to just these veteran names that were always sort of banking on. I think that's much like the sport, right? That, that's how you get the next generation, is to give these younger people some opportunities. Whatever happened to good old Steve Mazzagatti? <laughs> Steve, I believe, I, I mean, I think I remember some friends doing doing a profile some years ago. He is a firefighter in, wow. in the Las Vegas area, I believe. Um, yeah, I don't think too many people are missing him either. Um, let's move on. Israel Adesanya. After seeing what he did at Madison Square Garden, are you buying into the hype now? You know, do you think this guy is the next big thing in the UFC? I was buying into the hype before, just right. on the basis of, of you can't you can't teach charisma like if he has. You can't teach that bit factor, and he absolutely has it. So I was always buying in on that level to see him go out and do what he did to Derek Brunson, who is a very good fighter and doesn't get probably as much respect as he deserves for what he's accomplished to this point in his career. Definitely puts him in that, okay, he's, he's a guy that we have to certainly watch out for towards the top of the middleweight division. I'm still not 100% convinced that this guy is. Like, this doesn't feel like 
when Connor came along and it was like, okay, he's going to fight for the title within the next couple of years because of what he's doing. Now, Izzy very well could because of the momentum he has, but I don't feel it in the sense of this guy's just going to run through everybody you put in front of him because there are some tough fighters in that top three or four of the middleweight division. Like, I would love to see him against Luke Rockhold or Jacques Ray. I'm very interested to see how a fight with Robert Whitaker would play out. I think he deserves to be in that group, and he deserves those matchups. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it plays out, and I can't wait to see it. I heard that he will be the replacement fighter for Kelvin Gastelum and Robert Whitaker. I think that might be a little too soon, though. What about you? I mean, it makes sense. He's uh, he's a Kiwi, and so it'll be a back-home situation. Um, easy for him to, to prep and get ready. I mean, the other option to me, of course, would be Jacques Ray, but right. with him coming with him coming off a fight like he had against Chris, I don't know if the medical suspensions yeah. have been announced yet, but there's probably going to be a, a 90 day in there, or, or if not more, depending on you know if there was anything right to bruise too bad. And so Izzy looked like he came out of that one pretty clean. It would make sense in terms of geography and and the potential of having an Aussie and a Kiwi fight for for the middleweight title would be pretty cool. So while UFC 230 is going on, there's something else that was unfolding. And that was some shocking news, which is the fact that Floyd Mayweather will be facing <laughs> Tenshin Nasikawa in Ryzen. You know, we, we don't know whether this will be a boxing match, kickboxing match, UFC fight. We don't know any of the stipulations yet, do we, Spencer? <laughs> we don't. And so it's, it's one of those things that when you say, you know, Floyd's going to be fighting him, or he's going to be facing him, we still kind of got to put the air quotes around that or throw a little asterisk on it of, like, we think. Right. Because there's no bout agreements in place. There's no rule set announced yet. As of right now, we have had a press conference. Right. And so, and, and I mean, look, it's better than the, the GSP Michael Bisping press conference. At least this one, we have a date. It is New Year's Eve for the Rise and Show. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling it'll happen. I, I do believe it will happen. I think it'll end up being a an exhibition situation or a very, very tailored rule set and, and sort of modified fight so that it maybe doesn't affect either guy's record or, you know, we're not, Floyd's not going to go in there and have a kickboxing match with a 20-year-old super prospect who could absolutely embarrass him in a kickboxing match. And so mm-hmm. with Floyd involved, you know it's going to be tailored towards something positive for Floyd the interesting thing to find out is like how is Ryzen going to be how does Ryzen afford this I think it's been the big question right since that news and and I mean some people have said maybe they've just cut Floyd in on the deal and from what he said at the press conference maybe that's part of it maybe Floyd has a new ownership stake in in Ryzen Fighting Federation have you seen this guy Tenshin Nasukawa fight before I have he is he is legit, and this is the thing, so as soon as it was announced, I know there were lots of people, and the people that just know the Floyd Mayweather name that go, who is this kid? It's some 40-year-old baby-face-looking, or 20-year-old baby-face-looking kid that they're just throwing in there to get slaughtered by Floyd. Not not what is happening. Uh, tension is amazing. He is 27-0 as a kickboxer coming off a unanimous decision win over Kyoji Horiguchi, who, of course, we remember from the UFC, is currently one of the biggest stars in Ryzen. That was a kickboxing fight. He's 4-0 as an MMA fighter. 
he is the real deal. He is a legitimate superstar prospect, no matter whether it's in kickboxing or MMA. And so he's legit. He is a rising star in Japan. He is a guy that has a name that is familiar. He's been somebody that has been on their radar and has been a rising star since he was 18. So when you've got that level of club, he's the real deal. This will be a big, this will be a huge fight. Hmm. It's automatically going to be a huge fight because Floyd's involved and everybody tunes in for Floyd. But tension isn't just this random, random B-side in this. He's a big deal, and, and this is a huge opportunity. And to me, a great move for Ryzen to put their biggest rising star, their biggest young star, in against this massive name. Because now North American people are talking about having to figure out who tension is and, and get, this, get this kid into the larger media. So Ryzen is strictly MMA, right? It, it's not kickboxing. So I'm thinking right now, how how do they make this fight a? How do they make this fight? I don't like because Ryzen I mean, is just MMA. They sort of do the same. They do the same kind of thing that Bellator does. Where Bellator and Glory, okay. They'll throw kickboxing in there. They'll throw kickboxing on some of their cards. I mean, okay. That fight between that fight between Tension and and Kyoji Horiguchi was in the middle of one of their cards earlier this year where you know there's some MMA fights after it it's in the middle and and so they'll mix in kickboxing fights here and there and so they'll figure something out like I said I I really think it will end up being um, some kind of exhibition where the rule set is is super modified I don't know that it'll be the main event because you don't necessarily want to have an exhibition or something with weird Weird rules close out your New Year's. It's Floyd Mayweather, though, you know, I don't, I don't think you have Floyd again, Mayweather on a card with, you know. But I was just gonna say, yeah. And again, it's Floyd. And yeah. So maybe you do, and who knows? Maybe this is the time that Floyd just says, you know what? Let's try this. Damn. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. Um, another crazy announcement from this past week: Ben Askren, you know, he gets traded to the UFC for Demetrius Johnson. And word is that we're going to see Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler at UFC 233. Spencer, I don't know about you, but the idea of that fight gets me pretty fired up. It does and it doesn't for me. Hmm. Um, I, like, I like the fight because clash of styles and we get two veteran guys and probably a fight that should have happened a few years ago when Robbie was enjoying his sort of return to prominence in the UFC and Ben Askren was the big question mark of like how good is this guy really mm-hmm. um, I don't because the thing that is, has worked for Ben since the trade was you know announced and then finalized or he was introduced over the weekend was that he was going on Twitter and taking shots at guys and he was stirring the pot with pretty well everyone in the welterweight division except for Robbie Lawler because Robbie's not a guy that you can go out and really talk much trash about and he's not going to engage he's a very quiet he's not guy. a Twitter guy yeah, he's not a Twitter guy. He's not a he's not a talker. Even when you get him sitting down in a room, mm-hmm. um, it's just. And Ben Askren, I know Ariel and, and Chael talked to him on Saturday, and we're like, "So we're hearing about Robbie Lawler, and what are your thoughts?" And Ben was like, "Ah, he's a good guy." Like, it makes it hard. It, it sort of takes away that that pre-fight weapon that Ben Askren has, or that right. pre-fight opportunity Ben Askren has of talking junk, getting his name out there. Because what do you say about Robbie Lawler? He's one of the greatest fighters in welterweight history. He's absolutely terrifying to face because he smiles and laughs whenever you punch him. Right. 
He's got pretty good takedown defense. This is going to be a really difficult fight for me. But, That's the reality of what Ben Askren is facing. Right. Yes, Robbie, and he's not going to say anything in return. And so I think it's, it's a great fight. It's automatically, instantly going to show us where Ben Askren fits in this division. But it's a missed opportunity in terms of getting him out there with somebody that would go back and forth with him and build this fight into something bigger. I don't think we need that build, and I don't think we ever need the build with Robbie Lawler. And the thing that excites me the most about this fight is Rob- Robbie's one of those guys who can stop the takedown. Just like Joe was saying about um, about Israel Adesanya, you know, you love those guys who will stand up and brawl with you, but can also stop the takedown. And we've seen that with, with Robbie Lawler, and he makes guys fight, you know, like Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks got to be the fighter he was because he had to fight a guy like Robbie Lawler who could always stop that takedown. That's what gets me fired up about this fight. And when, you know, I think it's going to be one of those things. Let's see how Ben fights on his feet when he has to. Oh, I, that's absolutely part of it. And I agree with you that that's, that's what makes this fight intriguing is that sort of clash of styles and that dynamic between the two. The part that I think feels like a missed opportunity to me is if you're bringing in Ben Askren, who's, you know what he does. We, we all know that Ben is a terrific grappler, a great wrestler. Mm. If you're bringing him in and the two things he does well are wrestle and talk junk, mm. pairing him with Robbie Lawler sort of sets him up not to, I don't know who's going to win this fight. I haven't sat and broken it down or really looked at it yet. But it kind of puts him in not the best position to succeed right out of the gate. And when you're trading, essentially trading, Demetrius Johnson for Ben Aspirin, I don't know why you don't give him every opportunity to succeed on every level right out of the gate. I might have an answer for you. He's, he's, right. he's, he's always had a little beef with Dana White. Maybe this is Dana White's, you know, throwing him in the fire. This is Dana's payback. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it could be. It just feels like it's a weird opportunity for me because I think most people would agree that Robbie's not necessarily in decline or fallen off a cliff. I don't think we're going to see sort of the same, the Johnny Hendrick fall off. Right, yeah. Fall off that we've yeah. But he's lost two of his last three. He's been dealing with a bunch of injuries lately. He's been very, very selective about who he fights and when he fights. And so if that guy comes back and beats this new addition who is undefeated, and has this potential to be kind of a welterweight version of Chael, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it puts you in a good position going forward. Yeah. Because he's, he's got a loss to a guy that maybe isn't necessarily an elite contender anymore going forward. And that just feels like if you could have gotten him out there with, you know, Darren Till, where he can, they can go back and forth, and it plays into Ben Askren's strength. Or if you can get him in there, even with kind of like, a poor man's version of Robbie Lawler, like Jorge Masvidal, who has said he would like that fight. Mm. He'll talk trash with him. He's got very good takedown defense. He's a good litmus test, but also a fight that Ben Askren, I think everybody can see him winning the way that Damian Maya did. And so it puts him in a little bit better position, but hey, maybe you're right. Maybe this is Dana just saying, remember all those years you, you said things about right. me? Here, here you go. Fight yeah. Robbie Lawler. Um. <laughs> Ever, ever since the trade was announced, there's been rumors about other potential trades in the UFC, and one particular guy people have been talking about is the contract of Cain Velasquez. Do you see that happening? I don't know. I mean, you and just like I have, have heard a lot of the stuff in the last few days that, you know, maybe Cain has been ready to fight for the last year and 
hasn't been getting an opportunity and things like that. I mean, mm. look, I I still believe that a healthy Kane Velasquez, and I know that healthy Kane Velasquez or sea level Kane is is right up there with motivated BJ Penn. Yeah, the great uni- the great unicorns of the UFC. But I still believe that a healthy Kane Velasquez would have been the greatest heavyweight champion in UFC history. Um, you could probably still make a case that he's right up there in that conversation. And so if he's healthy and ready to go, I would love to see him back. If it needs to be somewhere else, I think you have to give him that opportunity. I completely understand why the UFC wouldn't be overly interested in letting a guy like that go. Mm. Uh, I don't know what the trade, like if we were doing the Bill Simmons trade value column of, of UFC fighters or MMA fighters, I don't know what you what you put Cain Velasquez at because he is such an impressive and accomplished fighter that, you know, if you're going to trade him to Bellator, what do you ask for back? And, and who is Scott Coker going to be willing to part with? Because um, I don't think, you know, like, he's not going to say, yeah, all right, here's Aaron Pico, give us Cain. That's not happening. And that's mm. one of the few guys, I think, on the Bellator roster that the UFC would probably be really interested in at this point. Yeah. You want to see the guy compete. He's just, he's so good. I mean, even, you know, he, he missed a year. He comes back at UFC 200 and just absolutely trucks Travis Brown. <laughs> and since then, we've been waiting for him to come back. And, and there's been, he's going to come back this year and he's close and we're waiting on it. And it just hasn't happened yet. I just hope we see him fight at some point in the next year. I honestly don't care where it is. I will tune in. A sea level cane. I like that. You know, I, th- I think it. I think it's been almost what two and a half years, eh, since the last time we saw him. It's crazy. Yeah, UFC two hundred. It, yeah. it feels. It feels. It honestly feels longer than that, though. To it me. does. UFC two hundred feels like it was so long ago now because so much has happened yeah. in those two years and a few months. But I mean, to to be out two years when you're a guy of that caliber with that resume that's that talented, it just it's such a wasted opportunity. And, and honestly, and I didn't, you know, this is just off the top of my head. It just came to me now. Like, it makes me even more angry about John Jones. Yeah. <laughs> because Kane's been out because he's been hurt. He's right. He's healthy and he hasn't gotten opportunities and he's, he's trying to get back. And he's such a great talent that, you know, injuries are going to ruin sort of what would have been an amazing career. And John's just John. Yeah. Well, little did we know that that was... Little did we know that that was going to be John's, what, second of fourth offenses, you know? he There'd be many m- more uh, bad paths, I guess, that he would go down. Just terrible. Um, so, I guess the word is that the UFC will no longer continue at the 125 uh, division. Henry Cejudo is going to move up and fight TJ Dillashaw. Are you going to miss that division? Or are you going to miss watching the 125-pounders fight? I am, and I know I'm probably in the mi- in the mi- minority there. Um, I have always been a Demetrius Johnson fan. Um, I think, to me, all the guys that compete there currently, that's their best division. I mean, I've known Joseph Benavides for a number of years. He was great at bantamweight, but 125 is, is his correct division. Same with DJ. We saw DJ at his absolute best when he got to fight in his natural weight class. I think it's the right weight class for Sergio Pettis and for guys like Juicy A. Formiga and a bunch of different fighters that are in and that are now going to have to have going to have to make the decision. Either they go up and fight at 35 
where they're a little bit undersized or maybe for some of them drastically undersized, or the UFC releases them, gives them the opportunity to leave and go fight somewhere else, which, hey, that's, that's great. You can go and fight at your natural weight class, but you're not in the big, you're not on the biggest stage anymore. Mm. Bellator doesn't have a men's flyweight division. And so that means you're going to, to places like Ryzen, or maybe we see someone else decide to come in and swoop up and scoop up all of these flyweights and, and be the premier destination for flyweights like Tachi Palace was way back in the day before the UFC got involved. And so to me, it's, it's getting rid of a lot of really entertaining fighters. I know they didn't finish as many fights as the heavyweights and things like that, but there were some great fights in that division. They were always entertaining, always high pace. We have a bunch of talented fighters that are on the rise and sort of earned their place in the rankings and, and their spot on this big stage, and now they're going to go elsewhere. And, and I just don't know if, you know, moving guys... Henry Cejudo will probably be able to compete at bantamweight. We've seen him win there in his second fight in the UFC, I believe, against Dustin Kimura. It mm. is a division where he might be okay, but I don't know about the rest of these guys. Like, I don't know how Ray Borg fares at bantamweight. I don't know what Dustin Ortiz brings to the table at bantamweight. Because they're lifelong flyweights. That's where they belong. And it, it just sucks that they're going to miss out on the opportunity or lose the opportunity to continue competing on the biggest stage in the sport. Well, you're, you're talking about uh, these other organizations picking up the 125-pound division. I would assume that, you know, with having Demetrius Johnson, I would assume that 1FC would be that new organization. I would think so. I mean, it would make a lot of sense. Um, they've, they've got sort of the base of of fighters over there. There are far more smaller and lighter weight class fighters over in Asia than we necessarily see here in North America. So that would make a lot of sense. I don't know how much they're going to want to rush out and just replicate the UFC flyweight division now. So bringing in a few of them will probably be what happens, but it will also be really interesting to see what happens with a guy like Davison Figueredo, who is on the rise in the UFC, but does he just end up going back to Brazil and becoming a guy that we're like, whatever happened to? Because mm. this is happening right as he's sort of reaching that crescendo and reaching that peak of being a win away from challenging for the title. And, and now that opportunity is going to be ripped away from him and he's going to have to go somewhere else. And, and to me, that sucks. I would love for one to just come in and be like, hey, UFC, we'll give you this much money. We'll take all of these contracts. Hey, guys, just come and fight over here. Um, it's a great organization. I have friends that work for them. I have people that I know that have competed over there who all say great things. And so that would be best case scenario. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't know how interested they'll be to go over and, and grab up everybody that was in the UFC. You know, I, I know you love these guys in the UFC because they are, you know, they're the pinnacle at 125, but... Spencer, you're you're an MMA guy. You're not, you're not just a UFC guy. So so how excited does it you know make you that with with these trades and all these things going on right now that the UFC is no longer the primary organization. It still is, but it's 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 not a monopoly. You know what I mean? How, how does that gets you excited? That has to get you a little you know excited oh, to absolutely. see all these other organizations getting a little piece of the pie. Absolutely, I think competition is is tremendous. I think it's the best thing for the athletes. I think it's the best thing to help the sport grow in general. And so seeing guys like DJ and Eddie go over to one and seeing 
you know, Bellator continue to grow bit by bit and have some some fighters that now have to be in the conversation as the very best in their division, like Gegard Mousasi at, at middleweight, and probably even still Rory McDonald at welterweight since he does own a victory over Tyron Woodley. I'm all for as many organizations being on a strong footing and, and growing in this sport. So that is absolutely true, but it's, it's also one of those things where I, I want to see the best fight the best. And, right. and as soon as we get them all spread out, we get back into that thing that we had where Bellator was coming up and Strikeforce was still around. And, you know, there were, was Dream and Sengoku in Japan where it's like, man, I just, I just wish we could get all of them together. But right. that's not going to happen. And if that's not going to happen, I want to see as many organizations thriving and surviving, giving these guys as many opportunities as possible. I hear you, man. I remember it was UFC 100, and everybody wanted to see Brock Lesnar uh, fight Fedor after, and it was like, no, we, we can't. Uh, and I think that was, what what was it, Affliction? That was what Fedor was fighting in at the time, and and they, they just couldn't work out, it, work out a deal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Affliction. Uh, affliction. <laughs> um, Spencer, it's been about uh, 30 minutes, so I'm going to let you go, but before I do that... We got to talk about one more thing, and that's you know we're we're about two weeks away from Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell three. What are your predictions on this fight and this whole card? What do you, what do you even think about it? I mean, I think it's crazy that that these two are fighting again. Um, it's it's not surprising, right? But it's, it's crazy to me. It has been a lot. I mean, Tito has done a very good job of staying relevant, of staying active, of sort of transforming himself in this later stage of his career right. to still fight every couple of years or once a year kind of thing and stick around. Chuck hasn't fought since June 2010. He's 48 years him. old. <laughs> As someone who just turned 40 and knows what it's like to feel achy after a night of playing basketball right. and imagine being 48 and coming back after an eight-year hiatus. I was in the arena at UFC 115 when he lost to Rich Franklin. Right. It was one of the most gruesome knockouts I've seen live um, or seen at all. And so, it's, I mean, I understand that these guys want to compete. I understand that that is, is still something that drives them. But I'm, I'm not interested. There's some other fighters on there as well that, you know, they've sort of grabbed the guys that are around and have been let go from the UFC and are free agents and stuff like that. So there's some interesting names on there. That'll be interesting to see compete again. But as for that main event, it's, uh, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough watch because... Are you buying it? Very... No. No. <laughs> I, no. No. I got, enough, I got enough stuff going on okay. that I don't need to tune in for that one. Are you? <laughs> no. You I, I might illegally stream it, but it depends <laughs> on what I'm doing. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, look, the, the good, one of the great things about Twitter these days is that there will be GIFs online that I will be able to watch to, to get the gist of, of what's happening. Right. Hey, uh, Spencer, thanks again, man. Let, let's maybe catch up again for UFC 231. I know, I know that you said that you're really looking forward to that fight, so let's see how that plays out. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Thank you very much. There he is, everybody. That is Spencer Kite from Fansided and Sporting News. Guy knows his shit. Uh, you know, I, I've said before, people like that who are masters in their craft, it is truly an honor to have them on the show. So thank you to Spencer for coming on. Uh, 
Talked about a lot of things. Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell 3. It's, it's actually happening. And to me, that is the most bizarre thing happening right now in the world of sports that nobody is talking about. You know, Chuck Liddell, this former phenom who used to knock people out at will, you know, was was light heavyweight champion for all those years. He is making his return to the cage at the ripe age of 48 years old to fight his arch nemesis, Tito Ortiz. You know, could you imagine being 50, almost 50, and just not getting it? You know, you, you actually try and come back just to show everybody that you still got it. It's incredible to me. That, that, that's like um, Wayne Gretzky trying to come back and make his return to the NHL. Uh, maybe not quite right, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky turned 50. I think, I think Wayne Gretzky is like 55 years old. But there's tons of guys, you know. It's like you know, Kobe Bryant. Not even Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant is, isn't even 45, you know. Just picture Kobe Bryant in like five years trying to make his return to the NBA. Um, it's crazy. But uh, but yeah, I, w- I would still I would still watch that Chuck Liddell and Tito fight over whatever the hell was on TV at my work the other day. So I've talked about uh, this on the show before, but. I have issue with with the bar that I work at and whatever they put on their TVs. So lately I've been doing this new thing and I've just been fucking with them. You know, I will put a random ass, I'll, I'll just put on a random ass sport like darts or poker and I'll see how long it takes for somebody to change the channel. I'll see how long it takes for them to even notice that that stuff's on TV. So... You know, I'm, 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 this is a story from this past week. I'm, I'm flipping through the channels and uh, I'm doing this quickly because I don't want my boss to see because I'm pretty sure they have a ban against me operating the TVs at work. Talked about this uh, a few episodes ago. And I, I go to TSN. And on TSN, they have the Overwatch World Cup. For those that don't know, uh, Overwatch, it's a video game. It's kind of like a goofy version of Halo. That's at least what it looks like to me. I don't know. I've never even played the game. But the minute I saw that, I'm like, yes, this is perfect. This is exactly, you know, what I want to do to ruin my bar. So I put that on the big, I put that on the big projector screen. It's like the biggest TV we have at work. It's just this big like movie theater sized projector. Um. And, uh, you know, this video game World Cup is going on at 1 o'clock through uh, the, the lunch rush in our bar. And, you know, as, as I'm working, as I'm, you know, doing my own thing through all of this, um, I'm looking at the TV every now and then, you know, just to see what's going on. And to my amazement, this is what I'm, I'm seeing everything that I had thought that I was seeing. You know, it it's literally just a team of kids from different countries going one-on-one with each other. Uh, they're going one-on-one 
with another team of kids from a different country. And they're sitting down playing this fucking video game. And that's what's on the TV. It's like five people playing a video game on like one side. Five people playing a video game on the other side. They're draped in their country's flags. And they're in a stadium and the stadium is fucking full. It's like the the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. Like... That's the crowd that is watching these guys play a video game. And and they're sitting down, they're playing this video game, and after each round or set or you know, whatever, whatever it is, they actually go to a real panel. And there's a panel, you know, just like you would see in NBA, you know, TNT with Ernie and Chuck and Shaq or NHL on TSN with Bob McKenzie and Darren Dreger, Aaron Ward. That kind of panel. But this panel consists of four of your stereotypical nerdy-ass kids. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell do I get sound on so I can hear this shit and so everyone else in the bar can hear this? Because I need to hear what is going on. Because what the hell could they possibly be saying? How can there be a panel of people analyzing a video game? You know... So I don't actually do that. I don't actually put the sound on because that would definitely be a fireable offense. I would have been fired from my job. But it had me thinking the entire day. How in the fuck did these kids get a job on a panel analyzing a fucking video game tournament? In a crowd full of people. It was one of the most remarkable things that I've ever seen. And unfortunately, I never got that answer. I never knew what the hell they could have possibly been saying. So until I see that again, that is going to be a mystery to me. Until the day that I die, it is going to be a mystery to me. What the hell could they have possibly been saying? I will never know. Um, we are all over the place in this episode, and I absolutely love it. This is why I have this podcast. This is why I work on making this every week because this is fun as hell, man. I, I like I like talking about everything. You know, I don't like just talking about one thing. I don't want to just talk about, you know, baseball or hockey or football or, you know, video game tournaments, MMA. I want to talk about everything. So if you guys listen to this show regularly... Um, you know how big of a fantasy football fan I am. And today, returning to the show, is Phil Thomas. He is a writer from the Chicago Tribune. This guy is truly a sage, a master in his craft. Uh, I, ask, I asked him for fantasy football advice last time he was on the show, and he didn't skip a beat. Um, and I, I won that week in fantasy fo- football simply because of, because of him. And because of that... He returns to the show. So without further ado, here is my interview with Phil Thomas. So joining me now on the show is Phil Thomas. Thank you, Phil, uh, once again for coming back on the show. Let me just start off by saying thank you. Uh, Last time you came on, uh, your prophecies told me to go with Kenyon Drake over Aaron Jones. And Kenyon Drake ended up scoring 21 points. I ended up winning that week because I won my game by 10. So... Hell yeah, man. So I'm now four and five. Last time we talked, I was two and five. I'm in a playoff spot now. 
Um, let's, uh, let's start off with the big news, I guess. The big story from the week, which is Des Bryant uh, getting signed by the New Orleans Saints. That happened today. You know, with all the weapons, uh, Phil, that the Saints have, what impact do you think that Des is going to have in fantasy football? Uh, I think it's going to be minimal. Hmm. Uh, I, well, there, there's several things I look at. Uh, Des's game, first of all, I don't know how well it translates to today's game. Hmm. And also, given you know his, his battle with father time, he's coming out on the losing side of that. With Des's game, he is kind of a 50-50 ball guy, you know, he's not particularly explosive, he's certainly not known for deep speed, so if he's not winning 50-50 balls, um, it, you know, it kind of uh, defeats the purpose of, of having him, to me. Uh, maybe Sean Payton can scheme to get Dez some open looks, but when you, you think about the overall pecking order for the Saints, everything running through Kamara, then a lot of it going through um, Ingram, presumably, especially mm. as the season gets later. And then Michael Thomas eating up a huge share of the targets. You know, you, you have to think about Dez is going to split whatever's left over with Traycon Smith. So when, when you go through all of those hurdles, it just doesn't seem like somebody that Mm -hmm. Well, I read something that was pretty remarkable and I actually didn't, I didn't know because I was right there with you and I didn't know this stat. Des Bryant has 73 touchdowns in eight seasons. Like you said about the 50-50 ball. I, th I think, I think that is the best weapon, but you're right. You're right. I don't know about, I don't know if he's going to take that away from Michael Thomas, but I thought that stat was, uh, was pretty remarkable. So, so what you're saying, you don't, you don't think that he's going to cut into my, uh, Michael Thomas's fantasy numbers. I don't think so. I don't think appreciably. And I, I feel the same way about, uh, Demarius Thomas, who's even younger, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and shown that he slowed down a step. Thomas, Demarius is, Slowing down, slow down a step. I can only imagine what what Dez, who's got a lot more uh, tread, a lot more wear on his tread, uh, how effective he's going to be uh, in that in that system, especially when you know he's had this long layoff, right, uh, from football. It, it, it just so many factors just stack up against him. And of course, you know, you're going to have that one or even two outlier games where, you know, he gets a red zone touchdown or something like that. I mean, if you're in a deep league and, you know, you're desperate, wide receivers have been kicked over, then sure, take a flyer on him. But I mm -hmm. could probably look at your waiver wire and, and find somebody else that might be <laughs> more valuable long term. Absolutely. And when I was going through my rundown, I even forgot about Benjamin Watson, who's going to be seeing right. a lot of prime matchups for tight ends later in the season. Uh, you know, when I did my second half strategies column, Dalvin Cook or slash Latavius Murray and Benjamin Watson had some of the most key matchups along with Cam Newton. You know, just prime matchups during the, the fantasy playoff weeks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, from a football fan perspective, uh, you know, you just named all those guys right there. It's not too often that we see an offense that is as stacked as the New Orleans Saints. And then, you know, you look at their defense and they're not awful, but they, uh, they can't stop the run. Do you think that a team like the Saints with an offense as good as it is, do you think a team like that is poised, uh, you know, to win a Super Bowl with on offense alone? I, I don't think anybody can really win on offense alone, but I mean, who, who really has a shut down defense right now that's, you know, at, at the top of the game? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. probably the two best scoring defenses have been the, the Titans and uh, and the Cowboys, and neither one of them are, are any kind of guarantee uh, to make the playoffs, particularly the Cowboys. Right. So, this year, I mean, this year is probably unique in that respect, but uh, I think if you just have a good enough defense, and I think you see certain teams, they're getting some players back healthy, they need some, some moves, uh, particularly like the Steelers, they've made some moves in the secondary, um, like uh, elevating Cody Sensabaugh, I mean, you know, no shutdown by any means, but I, I think the point is uh, teams like his Steelers, the Chiefs, even the Saints are doing things to stabilize uh, those deficiencies, particularly in the secondary. Well, it's funny because we'll the, I was going to uh, say we'll see if the Rams are, are joined that group too. If yeah. We come back. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, if, because if you would have asked me that question last week, who had a shutdown defense, I would have, I would have said the Rams. But, you know, we, we saw what the Saints did to them last week, or, you know, just a couple days ago. But uh, moving on from that, I made a joke uh, last week to some friends, because I'm a 49ers fan, and, you know, they, they ripped me, obviously, for being a Niners fan this season. So I made a joke, and I said that Nick Mullins is the next big thing. And then, boom, guy goes off for three touchdowns, no picks, 275 yards. This week, he's going against another poor defense in the New York Giants. So, Phil, the question is, for those in desperate need of a QB this week, do they pick up Nick Mullins? Do you think he has what it takes to have another big week? I think he does. I would temper their expectations. I don't think he's going to do with uh, do what he did against the Raiders, against <laughs> the Giants. Uh, part of the reason, I just look where, okay, number one, you know, once teams get uh, a little film on you, I know it's only one game, but they, they start learning their tendencies to figure out how you function in the offense and they figure out ways to shut you down. But also look at potential matchups. Uh, and I think the strength of their receiving cores, George Kittle, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the Giants aren't bad in that area. You know, I'd have to look at their, their matchups, um, look at how they've been using Landon Collins, but, um, you know, they, they, they might be the ones that have the answer to them. The Raiders certainly are not. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can say that over a lot of areas with them. Now, losing Eli Apple, they, they may have some, uh, some vulnerability outside, but... Uh, I haven't really seen the 49ers with um, Beathard or, you know, other than uh, Marquise Goodwin occasionally. I haven't seen them really attack teams that effectively outside. 
mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. So all that together, you know, I think he could be in the 250 range, uh, one, maybe two touchdowns. Uh, you also have to factor in Breida if he's healthy in the game. You know, he could contribute to, the, to that, to his stats. He also could just as easily uh, take away because he has a good matchup um, against the Vikings just on the ground. Yeah, and and if Breida isn't healthy, then I don't know what the hell we have because Raheem Mostert just went on the IR. Alfred Morris is he's a little bit banged up. What do we do? Put Pierre Garçon at uh, at running back. Do do what the Patriots did. I don't know. Um, but Patriots, I, I the Panthers. Uh, every uh, the, the yeah everybody's using wide receivers as running. Yeah. Back. So you know I'm I'm looking at your starts this week and I, and I'm looking at Cordell Patterson. And I see that you like him too. And, you know, because I, I just picked him up. But, you know, my big worry is that once Sony Michelle comes back, Cordell takes a back seat and we no longer see uh, those big 20-point games from him at running back. Am, am I wrong in that? No, 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 you're not wrong. And a lot of times when uh, I write these or any of us who write these kind of columns, you know, you, the, the injury information is not solidified or sometimes the news breaks. Right. Post. So, uh, you know, fantasy owners are smart. They, they know if uh, someone, Sonny Michelle caliber, comes back, that you have to you have to change plans sometimes. Uh, now, I would be looking at Sonny Michelle's uh, injury status, see if I could see any reports that say, you know, is he going to be kind of on a snap count like they've done with Dalvin Cook? Mm. Or is he going to get a full workload and you can look at things that, like, you know, if he practices uh, Friday or whatever that team's, you know, main practice day is. Is he, uh, you know, how limited is he? You know, does he do a full practice? You know, the whole thing with walkers just kind of gauging uh, where he is. And use that as a, as a gauge to see whether to go with Cordell or not. So, mm-hmm. Cordell, however he pronounces his name. Yeah, I don't know, man. I hear Cordell, Cordero. Yeah, it seems to change. Yeah, yeah. Keep slipping around. So. Yeah. Um, um, no, go ahead. I've got another uh, who should I start question for you because you, you nailed it last time. Uh, this week, let's let's say Cordell Patterson is starting, or you know, not starting. Maybe he s- splits time with with Ken- Kenyon Barber and James White, and Sony Michelle is is still hurt. Who should I start at flex? Aaron Jones against Miami defense or Cordell Patterson against the Titans defense? Oh, I'd go with Aaron Jones. Okay. Uh, Aaron, well, especially with Ty Montgomery shipped out uh, to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of uh, current and former uh, Aaron Jones owners who just rejoiced that that three-headed monster is dead. I mean, you still have to deal with Jamal Williams, and that's still a pain in the butt uh, mm-hmm. for fantasy owners. But uh, there, there's been a couple of uh, plays the last couple of weeks. Uh, my memory's a little fuzzy, but I know there's at least one time where um, Aaron hit a big run and was either called back for a penalty or, or whatever the reason. is. He, he's just... He's got that big playability, and I, I feel like he's going to hit that big one. 
Belichick, he's, he's he's always making it hard for fantasy owners. That, that's why I've I've never really had a Patriots running back. I've I've never trusted that. Um, I mean, I would have trusted obviously to have Sony Michelle before he went before he got hurt. But anyway, well, um, the one, and let me just let me just throw this. Yeah, the one guy that has been the most reliable, and that's another factor is James, James White. Yeah, James White can take goal line. I mean, the the, the thing with James White is. He's probably even a better receiver mm-hmm. than Patterson. I mean, let's be honest. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that versatility uh, kind of throws defenses off, so Brady likes to have him in those red zone situations. And he's been extremely effective this year. So that's, that's another factor, uh, I think, that kind of scares me off Patterson a little bit. Yeah. Um. Okay, so th- this is this is my uh, the part I was looking forward to most in this interview with you because I got to be honest about about something that I did this week and because I did something really stupid. I made a trade and I am fully prepared to have all my credibility taken away for this. So I want you to just give it to me straight. I traded away Aaron Rodgers for Chris Carson. Before I let you roast me for this, I'll explain why. <laughs> you already hate it. Okay, let me explain why. I had Aaron Rodgers just rotting on my bench. I already have Patrick Mahomes, you know, and I, I was wanting another flex option. Is there any way that you can justify this trade for me, or did I just completely lose all credibility here? You know, I wouldn't say that you completely lost all credibility. <laughs> I still want to reach all the way to Canada and bonk you on the head. <laughs> And probably not that far from Chicago, but no. Uh, here's the thing: <laughs> How long have you been playing fantasy? Uh, it's been about six years. Six years. Yeah. So you you played long enough to be well familiar with Seahawks running back. Yeah, yeah. And their multitude of health issues. Yeah. <laughs> so that uh, the best ability is availability. That old uh, football cliche. Yeah, uh, has to be factored into any kind of trade uh, scenario that you're thinking of doing, because Chris Carson, for all his talents, is not going to do you any good if he's on the bench. Now, if you had uh, Mike Davis already on your roster, or he's on the waiver wire, someone picked him up. 
someone picked them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah this week. See, if you had, if you had the handcuffs, yeah, maybe I would do it. But then I would still try to get something else along with him. I know. No, it's bad for Roger. Um, what was I gonna say? You know, I I, I drafted Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I drafted him in the fourth round, and, and the whole season I, I was expecting a little more from him. And, you know, he was, just, he was just sitting there rotting on my bench. But this is the thing. Now, if Patrick Mahomes, if he gets hurt and I don't have an Aaron Rodgers and I have Chris Carson, then I'm done. Then, I mean, I, I got to get fantasy football up maybe for at least another year. No, no, no. <laughs> fantasy football is all forgiving. Uh, well, sometimes. I don't think- He doesn't get hit, you're right, yeah. That's one good thing in your favor. I think the thing that you might regret, though, is uh, the the Packers' offense might start humming. It's, you know, if they find their stride with the running game. Right. um, You know, and and their backs, you know, all their running backs do well catching passes. You know, Marquez, Baldur Scantling starts taking off. I think he might. You know, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it could just be a couple of weeks from now, and you'll be going, "What did I do?" <laughs> but, but, hey, man, like, like I told you that last time. Oh, I believe I told you that story. I, dra- uh, I traded uh, Maurice Jones Drew for uh, Plexical Burris, and then a week later, he shot himself in the leg. Oh no! You didn't tell me that one. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it. No, you guys both shot yourself in the foot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey. Right? I can't believe I've never used that. Yeah, I know. I know. You're you're quick with the wit there. No. uh, I try. Actually, he literally shot himself in the foot, and I uh, metaphorically shot myself. Yeah, exactly. Hell yeah. (laughs) And of course, you know how the story ends. Yeah. The guy, the guy I treated. Uh, Maurice uh, MJD too. What do you think happened? Mojo went off that year, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It was rookie season, and that guy went off to win the league. Damn. The championship. Just, just, just because he had Mojo. Just because he had Mojo. Damn. Mojo, more than any of his players, got that championship for him. Jeez. And I had old bullet in the leg. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, at least, do you at least have him on the IR for the next couple seasons? Uh, I'm sorry, what's that now? I said at least you had him on the IR for the next couple of seasons. Oh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, keeper league. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, that was just, uh, there was, there were no positives no. on that exchange. There was not even anything that I could say, oh, I, this is a learning experience. It was just all bad. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, So the last time that you were on this show, you, you actually you said something hilarious about uh, any time that Nathan Peterman is starting at quarterback, you got to pick up the defense that's facing him. And last week, Peterman went against the Bears. Bears put up 30 against him. So I got, I got a new strategy, and I think that any defense that plays the Raiders, I'm going to pick up them. And so that's why this week I have the Chargers D. Uh, last week, the friggin' 49ers put up 17 against the Raiders. Uh, do you think that this strategy bodes well for me? Uh, 
I think it does. I, I, I like going against the Raiders. They're um, they're in disarray. <laughs> I may be so self-indulgent as to quote my own article. Uh, the Raiders are a dumpster fire. Right. Other dumpster fires gather around to keep warm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I can I can see um, it now. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but I, I do I do still like going against Peterman, and this and it's not just about him. It's that whole offense. I think lends itself to turnovers and high opportunity turnovers, like you saw with the Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're receivers, if you can even call them that, just do not get separation. Um. Kelvin Benjamin is the embodiment of what I think Des Bryant is now. Whoa. Really? <laughs> yes. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to look up Kelvin Benjamin's stats because I don't think Kelvin Benjamin has anywhere close to 73 touchdowns. Well, no, no. I'm, but see, you're, you're thinking of Des in his prime. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Des is physically now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we saw in, in the last, his last season, compare Dez's last season in Dallas with Kelvin Benjamin. Well, I don't think Dez ever had a gut. Kelvin Benjamin has a gut on him. <laughs> okay, okay. Kelvin is slimmed down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's still trash. Right. At least he's more sculpted trash. Yeah. <laughs> that was an aberration. But... Is you know Kelvin Benjamin seemed like he was going to be a wide receiver one, but the, the trick with him is if if he can't out muscle uh, a receive, I mean a, a cornerback, he's he's useless. He's, he he just cannot get separation. Dez was not getting separation his last season with Dallas. That's why they they got rid of him. Mm-hmm. And he I mean he doesn't have another trick. Right. Like once it's like Alvin Harper. Once Alvin Harper stopped running by people, mm-hmm. there's, there's there's no other move. Right. Right. Um. That, that you know that career went south quickly. Yeah. You remember that. <laughs> um. So speaking of the dumpster fires, I I finally decided to drop. Jordy Nelson. Do you think now is finally the time to drop Jordy Nelson, or do you see any upside on on keeping a guy like that? No, no. Okay. And again, and that's that's a theme going here. And first, let me say I picked up Nelson too. Yeah. Because I've been a Jordy Nelson fan, but I also had him when he was with the Packers. Right. So I picked him. I picked him up with a, a healthy dose of skepticism, and. Mm. That skepticism was validated. It doesn't matter the volume of targets that he's getting. Not that he's getting a bunch. Yeah. He can't get the separation anymore. This is the point. I don't care how talented these guys were. Dez, Jordy, uh, Kelvin never was. <laughs> if, if, you know, if you can't get that separation, and, uh, you know, there's sites that measure, um, you know, who gets the whose receivers get the most yards of separation per target, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. If you can't get that, you have nothing as a receiver. Right. It was hard, man. It was hard to do. Uh, I, f- I finally did it, though. I, 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 th- I thought, you know, because Jordy Nelson, he, it was, it was only two years ago, and 
he was getting a touchdown every other game. He got 11 touchdowns two years ago. Yeah. Like, and this this year, he, he's, he ain't doing nothing with Derek Carr, e- even though he is, what, I guess he's their number one receiver. Like, that even means anything in Oakland, but. Yeah, I mean, there's the Oakland factor, the, the, the function of the offense itself. Yeah. But he wasn't doing anything his last season with Rodgers, and Rodgers loved him. Rogers yeah. Was, well, he was hurt his last season, wasn't he? Yeah, he was hurt for part of it, but... You know, at a certain point, it, I, I don't think it was so much injury as age with Nelson. I, right. I think time has caught up with him. And, you know, sometimes it's just an instinctual thing. You look at a guy and say, that's, that's not the same player. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you say, and it's kind of like with Eli Manning. I don't care what kind of tinkering uh, they do with the Giants. I don't care what kind of offensive lineman, although their offensive line is, is also woeful. Yeah. Uh, he just does not have it anymore. And sometimes you just have to look at a guy and say, ah, no, it's done. Yeah, he's, he's killing my, uh, my Evan Engram hopes. He is. Yeah. He is. I mean, I've heard the argument from people who know a lot more about football than I do that, uh, that Odell Beckham is probably the best wide receiver in football. Yeah. But he doesn't look like it. <laughs> no, not with Eli Manning, no. Um, so, yeah. You can't put a Band-Aid over or certain deficiencies. No, I agree. Uh, thanks, Phil, man. That this, this was certainly a fun one. Uh, I got one more before I let you go, and sure. that's, that's for all Le'Veon Bell owners. Should, should they start getting excited with... Week 13 approaching, or do you have doubts in Le'Veon Bell? Do you have doubts that he'll he'll even get that starting job back and he'll take that away from James Conner? I, I don't honestly don't know what the Steelers are going to do. Mm-hmm. But here's what I think they would do. I mean, you, you have a guy who doesn't want to be with the organization, who doesn't want the touches, and you have a guy that is an integral part of your offense. You mean to tell me, Mike Tomlin, that you would mess with that rhythm yeah. by trying to force-feed a malcontent? You have a running game that's working. It's a run, running-slash-passing game. Yeah. And this one player that's working, and you're going to disrupt that to try to make... I mean, they may say, oh... You know, well, we love James Conner, and but Bell is a superior talent. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But how much, how much more production do you think you'd really be getting, honestly? Right. If Bell were getting all the snaps, so it could only be spite, in my opinion. So, given that, I think that you might be looking at a, a timeshare. Uh, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if Bell came out on the losing end of that top chair, saying how he doesn't want the touches anyway. Right. What do you think about that? I think, I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of it is going to depend on what James Conner can do against a defense like the Carolina Panthers. I think Thursday is going to be a, a big tell-all. And honestly, I think you're right. I think you're right. You're right in what, what you're saying. I, I think that James Conner is going to come out on the winning side of that. Uh 
What, what's what's the best defense that that Pittsburgh's faced so far? I, I don't think we've seen them face a defense like Carolina's yet. No, no, but I mean, uh, you could make an argument that the Ravens. Were right. The yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I was even thinking about last week. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. But I, I I do I do think that you don't you don't you don't stop giving the ball to to James Conner. It's working. You know, if maybe if they they lose their next three games, Connor's banged up. Maybe you know you give the ball to Bell, but at this point, if Bell doesn't even want to play, why 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 do you break that system? Well, and, and not only that, not only the X's and O's, but you have the intangible factors too. The, the offensive line clearly decided with this guy. The locker room loves this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, the locker room and the fans are falling in love with this guy's backstory and all. Into the whole thing, every a lot of people know about it. Yeah, but you know, you risk alienating <laughs> your own locker room, right? Yeah, uh, with this this power struggle. I mean, uh, honestly, they they should have found a way to trade him uh, to to trade this guy before the season. Yeah, when they knew because they keep going around around every year playing chicken. Mm-hmm. Let me on. And they should have just let him go. Yeah. Well, and try to get a first-round pick for or to, you know, if if Amari Cooper could fetch a first-round pick, can you imagine what the Steelers could have right. done? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was listening to something on the NFL Network, and they were saying not only did the Steelers not realize how good James Conner was going to be this year, but they also realized how good their own line was going to be. You know, their old line has, yeah. they haven't, cha- it's been the same old line for what, the past two or three years, and yeah. they're the best old line in the league. So, regardless of who you have at running back, you're going to have, you're going to have guys who are going to be putting up good numbers. And, and it's just nice to see that it is a guy like Connor. It is a guy that, you know, defeated leukemia, and it is a guy that wants to be on the field. I think Bella's just a little too Hollywood, you know what I mean? He is. Uh, are you referring to the glove? No, 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 no. The, the shoes and all that. Yeah, no, no. I just mean in the sense that he's what been living it up in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I know. I was, I was making a joke. Right. I remember the. Yeah, I remember that though. Yeah. Who's wear, who wears a sequin glove? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. But um, yeah. I mean, I understand the guy wants his money. I'm not getting into this whole contractual thing. But a lot, a lot of times, running backs are like pitchers. They're Cy Young one year, and then you know two years later they're <laughs> they're on the trash heap. Right, but the thing with the thing with uh, pitchers though, the way they differ from running backs. Running backs they can't really have bad seasons, and then they get the opportunity to come back. You know, like we yeah. saw we saw with David Price, he he was he's been bad for you know the last couple of years, and he's always been bad in the playoffs, and then this year he almost won an MVP, but. If if you're a running back, you have one bad season. It's not not too likely we'll ever see you back in the NFL again. Just ask Trent well, Richardson. Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson. Hey, you're right. There you go. Absolutely. Hey. AP. You're I'm right. Sure if I had thought about it, I, I could uh, dig up some memories of some others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you can. I know you can. You're the man, Phil. Uh, thanks again, man. This this one was fun. I just have to be contrarian. That's just my niche. Hey, no, I agree, man. You are. You're the sage. You're, you're, you're one for one so far with my picks. We'll see if you can go two for two. And um, 
if if I do hold on to this playoff spot, I'm currently four and five. I'm in six. If I do stay in the playoffs, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again come playoff time because I'm going to need some suggestions for this sorry ass team I have. Oh sure thing. Sure, I'm sure. I'm sure it's good. Maybe we'll have Chris Carson leading me to the playoffs. We'll see. Let's hope so. I, I hope for your sake. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Oh, it's no problem. You have a good one. That's Phil Thomas, everybody. Truly a master at what he does. And I love that he knows... He knows that he knows what he's talking about. You know, he, he's, he's bordering the cockiness, and I love that. This guy's super confident, though, you know? And, and you can tell that writing fantasy football and covering it for one of the most renowned and well-known newspapers in the United States, you know, maybe in the world. Chicago Tribune is huge. Um, and, and that's his passion, man, and, and I love it. I love people that do things that they love. I love, I love people who have passion for things and, uh, you know, they succeed and, they, you know, he, he's truly a master uh, in his craft. And, and I love that. Um, so yeah, man, if, if you guys have been sticking with me and you've listened to the podcast up until this point, uh, from the very start of this show, I appreciate it. And, uh, you've been in, you've been rewarded with that interview. That interview was, was fun as hell. Uh, and that interview was certainly my favorite part of the show. Man, this guy traded for Plaxico Burris, former wide receiver for the New York Giants. And then Plaxico Burris accidentally shot himself in a bar. That's crazy, man. And uh, that, that happened after Phil Thomas traded for him. That was a great story. I love it. Uh, this has been a great podcast, man. I, I must say, this has been the most fun I think I've had doing this show since I've started episode one. Because we went everywhere with this one, man. We Video game tournaments, chicken fingers, MMA, fantasy football. Those are all my favorite things. Uh, I fucking love it. You know, from Alexa Greenfield to Spencer Kite to the Chicago Tribune's Phil Thomas, Chicken Fingers, MMA, Fantasy Football. Thank you to everybody. Uh, this was a blast. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna go to the I'm going to the Senators game tonight, and you know we're gonna we're gonna see if all the drama going on with that franchise right now is affecting them on the ice. I can't wait. They play Vegas, so that is gonna be fun as hell. Um, and. We're going to do the Alexa Greenfield Chicken Finger Challenge. Um, I'll post that to my Snapchat for everybody uh, later tonight. Might even dip my chicken fingers into some beer. We'll see. Um, Hey, thank you guys. Really, uh, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate the support that some of you guys have been giving me over the past few days. Uh, We're going to keep doing this every week. And uh, we're going to keep getting better and better brick by brick. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Peace. Peace.